Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One very important question that Aristotle explores with respect to the phenomenon of acrasia, or a lack or loss of self-control on the part of the person, by which they end up following desire against right reason and doing the wrong thing in the process, is to what extent is knowledge actually involved? And this ties in with a much broader question running throughout the history of ideas. Namely, is it possible to know what the good is or to know what one ought to do? And while that knowledge is actually possessed, to not do it. Some people say it's not actually possible that what's going on there is the person really doesn't have knowledge. So in a certain respect, they're not responsible. You just need to educate them further. Other moral theorists say, no, in fact, not only can people do that sort of thing where they know what the good is and they willingly choose to do the wrong thing. I myself have done it. When Paul is talking, for example, about that sort of thing, that's an example of acrosia. There's plenty of other examples of, of people as well. So Aristotle is interested in, does the acratic person knowingly do what is wrong? And he's going to say yes. Then the question is, well, in what sense do they have knowledge? He's going to dispose of another question before that, which is why we're also talking about opinion or doxa. He says it doesn't really matter whether the person is assumed to have knowledge or true opinion, that is orthodoxa. Why doesn't it actually matter? He says, some men hold their opinions with absolute certainty and take them for positive knowledge. I think we all have experience of that. So that if weakness of conviction be the criterion for deciding that men who act against their conception of what is right must be said to opine rather than to know the right, then there would really be no difference in this respect between opinion and knowledge. So we don't want to just inflate opinion and knowledge on the basis of, say, strength, you know, the strength behind the conviction that a person holds those with. Knowledge should be convincing. Opinion should be less convincing. But quite often we see people who don't have knowledge at all. They just have a whole bunch of ideas, a bunch of beliefs, and they stick to them as if they knew them. Sometimes it's because they have gotten them from a source that they consider to be knowledgeable, but it's really just opinion that they're holding. So when you read psychology today, and you read an article about a psychologist about what, you know, neuroscience has revealed to us. You're not a neuroscientist, so you don't actually know if the summary of the study is actually accurately depicting what the study is supposed to have demonstrated. Presumably the authors of the study possess knowledge. Hopefully the author of the article possesses knowledge of what's being talked about there. They're not actually communicating knowledge as such to you. And if you're relying on that belief and you're saying, I know that the neuroscientists have done this, that's really more an article of faith or opinion, doxa, than anything else. Aristotle says that doesn't really matter. We're not going to worry about that. So let's just put that issue aside. Are there cases in which we actually do have knowledge, but we do the wrong thing? That is, we give in to desire rather than following what our knowledge, the knowledge of what would be good in that situation, would tell us. 
What is that reason is telling us? Aristotle says yes. And he outlines four ways in which this can occur, some of which look an awful lot like each other, so I'm going to do my best here to try to distinguish them apart from each other. The first one is, he, he says, we can have knowledge, but not actually be using or attending to, or to use the word that he's actually employing there, contemplating that knowledge, theorem. It's the same word that we get theory from, or you know, we translate as contemplative or contemplating. We might have knowledge, but we might not actually be looking at that knowledge as relevant in that situation. And so in one sense, we do have the knowledge, it's at our disposal, but we're, for whatever reason, perhaps we're daydreaming or attending to other things or stress has caused us to you know, focus in only on one part of the situation, we ignore the knowledge that we actually do possess and have ready at our disposal. Aristotle himself talks about this by saying the word know is used in two senses. A man who has knowledge but is not exercising it is said to know. So is a person who's actually exercising that knowledge. So let's talk now about the second, and we'll come back to the first when we get to the third. Another possibility, and here Aristotle is talking about moral reasoning or practical reasoning, and he's touching on some technical terminology that ties in with what we call the practical syllogism. We have general or universal terms and premises in moral reasoning or practical reasoning, and then we also have particular terms or, or premises, and these are supposed to lead us ultimately to some sort of conclusion. Now. What would be examples of universal terms or premises? The most universal, I suppose, would be something along the lines of the good is to be pursued or the good is to be done and evil avoided, right? What are particular terms? I should hold on to this book because that is going to be helpful for me. This book, me, those are particular things. This book will allow me to perform my task well, right? We have a particular thing there, and we can say, well, who cares about that? I don't care that it would help you perform your task well. And in another premise, it is important for me to perform my task well. We can add in multiple ones if we want to. But the point is, is that he's saying that we are, in these sorts of cases, employing the universal or the general terms, but we're not actually using the knowledge of the particular. So we're not reasoning correctly, we're not applying our knowledge to the actual case that we're facing, or to ourselves as individuals. Great example of this. If I'm a person who is struggling with one of my vices, then Aristotle has said previously in the Nicomachean Ethics, it's probably a good idea to kind of swing to the other extreme, to aim towards the, the other end of the spectrum, and so you might wind up in the middle. So there could be things for myself, like for example, we, we could say, hey, it's perfectly fine for uh, people in general to do this, say to give in to anger. Right? When it's for the right amount, right person, right reason, all those, those sorts of things that go along with me. Perhaps for me, if I'm struggling with anger, it's better if I don't give in to anger at all. 
That's an individual thing about my case. It is also about general things, but it's less general than the human condition in general, because it has to do with people who are, say, struggling with a vice or struggling specifically with anger. There could be things that apply that I won't attend to if I don't pay attention to the particulars of the situation. So the ecratic person might be behaving ecratically because although they do have knowledge of the general and they do have knowledge of the particular, they're not actually using the knowledge of the particular. And so they're, they're going to reason wrongly. Now, the third one I said was sort of like the first one, and we're going to try to differentiate those a little bit. He says, not using knowledge in some cases knowledge that we possess happens because of a state that we're in. So he talks about, for example, being asleep, being insane, or suffering from a mental disorder of some sort, minominum, or being drunk. And these are all, Aristotle thinks, not merely states of the psyche, they also have physical correlates. When we're asleep, we're actually bodily sleeping. When we're drinking, that's a great example where the body clearly does influence the mind because it's drinking the alcohol that causes us to have a different psychological condition, right? Being insane for Aristotle, he seems to see, at least in this respect, as something with a physical correlate. He says then that people under the influence of passion, passions, are in the same condition. These are the strong emotions. He says it's evident that anger, sexual desire, and certain other of these passions actually alter the state of the body and in some cases even cause madness. Extreme cases, right? So he says it's clear we have to say that the, the unrestrained or, or lack of self-controlled person has knowledge only in the same way as men who are asleep or mad or drunk. And he goes on to talk about them actually in a kind of automatic way, using the language of knowledge. Think about your drunk friends when you're trying to reason with them and they are arguing with you, and you can get into a long conversation about what they're arguing about, and it's generally, you know, poor reasoning or sometimes even incoherent, but they are talking like somebody who actually knows what's going on and can reason and can hold the conversation with somebody else. So how is this different than number one? With number three, there appears to be some sort of physical correlate going on that is impeding the use of the knowledge that the person has. It is similar in that you have knowledge, but you're not attending to or using it. But this seems to be just more generally or perhaps in cases where it's not due to a passion, it's not due to being drunk, it's not due to being half asleep, sleep deprived, any of those sorts of things. The fourth one is similar to the second in that it's also bringing up the practical syllogism that is the instrument for moral reasoning or practical reasoning. And he says that we could actually have two different practical syllogisms, I'm gonna, this is metaphorical, in our heads at the same time, that is operative for us at the same time. And we should be listening to one of them more and not to the other one. And if we were, you know, really thinking things through without being steered by desire, then that would do that. But unfortunately, desire adds weight to one side of the balance, and one of the practical syllogisms then gets 
listened to, and the other one that's sort of contradictory to it, or at least has conflicts with it in some way, doesn't get listened to, and we just sort of, you know, lose sight of it, and then we follow the first one. So we are carrying out a process of reasoning, but it's reasoning that is guided by the wrong desires. Now, that's not to say that, that the other one wouldn't also be guided by desire. Aristotle thinks that desire plays a role, as we've seen in his philosophy of action, in, in pretty much everything. But what he says about this is when people fail in self-restraint, they act in a sense under the influence of a principle or opinion, but one that is not in itself, but only accidentally opposed to the right principle. It's the desire that's really opposed. So this is, you know, again, one of the ways in which we do quite often go wrong. Just because we happen to have reasons, or as we often say, rationalize, doesn't mean that we're actually doing the right thing. So each one of these is one of the ways in which it's possible to answer yes to this question. Does the ecratic person knowingly do what is wrong? Yes, they know in one sense. No, they don't know in another sense. The, the knowledge is not being completely operative or the knowledge is being misused in some way. There's a lot more that could be said about this, but that's probably enough at this point to, to give you to, to mull over. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.